think it's really interesting when we talk about the day, like the actual layout of a product manager. Because I think when you Google uh, product manager schedules or you follow some on Twitter, you'll, you'll get the pictures of a Google Calendar screenshot where it's just back-to-back, -back, like 15-minute meetings, completely hectic, going into 11 o'clock at night. Um, and so I really try to steer away from that. Dan, what do you got for us today? Well, it's going to be an interesting and I think it's going to be a special episode. Oh. Because as you know, as we both know, as any of our listeners know, we are podcast, the people product. We are looking at, um, we're passionate about product development, passionate about innovation. You know this, George. I don't have I know. This, I know exactly what you're I talking like about. I like to say it. I like to say it. Yeah. Sounds good. We are even more passionate about the individuals that are behind the scenes that are making the product, the teams, mm -hmm. um, the skill sets, the crafts, all that goes into building a product. And you mean the it. people? The people. Mm. Of product. of product. Yeah. So today with us, we have Michael Luchin on, on our staff. He is here with us today. Michael, welcome. Welcome, Michael. Hey, hey, how's it going? We are doing well, and we are glad to have you here for this episode to learn more about the life of a product manager. So Michael, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about your role, Krimma. How long you been? We'll just go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so again, my name is Michael Luchin. I have been at Crema for about eight years now. Um, I remember coming on board uh, as a project coordinator when we were just under 10 people, uh, focusing on a much different different level of, uh, of projects at the time. Yeah. Um, and then uh, really helped shape our product management practice. Today, I'm the director of product management. I think we're going to get a little bit into that uh, throughout our, our conversation. That's right. Project coordinator. That is right. The old mm -hmm. PC. The old yeah. PC. Yeah. Um, man, Michael, I remember jamming out in, do we even, oh, we didn't even have the walls back then. In one of our conference uh -uh. room that did not have oh, walls. Yeah. It was just a table in the corner. This is a conference um, corner. Conference yeah. corner. <laughs> and, uh, you know, trying to shape what would it mean for us to serve our clients really well and, and help get them aligned and move them forward. And that we came to find out that that was a thing called product management, product mm -hmm. management. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which you helped to really move us into best practices. And what does that look like for Crema? So tell me a little bit about what, what's the typical day look like for you or for a product manager in general? Like what, what does your day look like? Um, when you get up in the morning, what's the first thing you do when you get up in the morning? No, we, we can start. What does a day look like for you, uh, Michael, these days? Yeah, yeah. You know, so I think it's really interesting when we talk about the day, like the actual layout of a product manager. Because I think when you Google uh, product manager schedules or you follow some on Twitter, you'll, you'll get the pictures of a Google Calendar screenshot where it's just back-to-back, -back, like 15-minute meetings, completely hectic, going into 11 o'clock at night. Um, and so I really try to steer away from that. Um, so to start, I'm really a fan of time block, a theme that has really helped keep me grounded um, throughout balancing multiple client products, uh, working on some internal ones. Um, and so I really just start the day um, diving into some email and Slack messages, Jira updates and more um, through a 30 minute 
blocked off section that I just call inboxes and admin on my calendar. And any leftover time after catching up on those messages, I'll dive into some small administrative tasks or follow-ups. Um, and that has really been helpful for me because I usually have like two or three of those sessions scattered throughout the day. Um, usually one around uh, lunchtime and then one right, right before the day wraps up, which is awesome because it means I don't have to have email notifications on or Jira notifications mm -hmm. on. But my responses are quick enough, but also effective enough to support all the product teams that I help manage. Um, so and, Michael, and, Michael, real quick. So you mentioned, so time blocking. So there's this level of intentionality that I feel like yeah. as a product, because the role itself um, really spans multiple different, can for the most part, multiple different, uh, depending on how the, the company works, products or engagements at any given moment. And mm -hmm. so when you've talked with other product managers, uh, either inside of our company or just you know across maybe different, whether it's at a conference or maybe Slack groups that you're in, is that a common theme that you've learned and had conversations with uh, other product managers is just how much time, how much intentionality you have to put into managing your time? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot out there around it, but it's so hard. Um, you, you can put like guidelines in place, but sticking mm -hmm. to those guidelines is like the really the challenging habit. Uh, mm -hmm. It's so tempting to uh, to be honestly emotionally responsive to a lot of uh, signals pulling on your needs and product. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's how you put those those habits and structures in place to help you be effective. And I think ultimately be more ironically generous uh, with your time. Mm hmm. And that's a hard tension to hold because you have to do part of doing your job well is you have to be able to block, to give yourself those boundaries um, mm -hmm. so that you can serve people well. But like yeah. you said, there's this emotional attachment almost to wanting to be available, wanting to serve others. But what's really best for the product as a whole is to put those boundaries in. That's a really hard balance. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and Michael, as you block that time, and I know you, you started out with saying you block it for kind of your, your um, catch up tasks in the first thing in the morning. So you're checking on your notifications, your messages, et cetera. You're also setting the example for the rest of the team, right? I mean, mm. that there is this need to say, Hey, uh, we all know we have a lot to get done in this sprint. We have a lot to get done in this day, et cetera. Um, you're, you're setting the example that they should maybe be blocking their time as well because they're going to get pulled into meetings. They're going to get pulled into conversations just like you're about to be, but mm -hmm. they need to be aware of what's going on. They need to be caught up on their messages. They need to be prepared for the day. Um, and I think that's, that's you, you are the master at setting that example. And, and like Dan said, it's, it's with a lot of intentionality. So well done. So mm -hmm. after, after you, you've done your kind of catch up, what else? What else does that your day look like? Yeah. So um, again, jumping back right into time blocking. It's <laughs> all right. You know, if it's a day where I don't have a lot of meetings, um, I will be blocking off at least an hour, hour and a half or more for usually client work, focusing on like user story mapping, research, um, more, whatever the team needs usually for that sprint or for the upcoming sprint. How can I help support them best? That's usually where I'm focusing my time. Um, I usually we'll have a few meetings as well. Sometimes meetings will come in during that time. And at that point, you know, using that time block strategy, for me, it doesn't become a game of saying no all the time. I wanna make sure that I'm supporting what is most priority. 
Um, rather, it becomes a game of Tetris. How can I really ask myself, what are the priorities of the things coming in, the meetings, the tasks? How can I move these things around throughout this week, maybe even into next week, um, so that I can best balance between those things? In between all that, I try to always step away for lunch, um, especially when we're all working from home during this pandemic. It's easy to just be sitting in one spot for eight hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's it's really good, especially when you're thinking through product challenges, just to get your mind paused for a little bit and then also maybe thinking about some other things. And so I usually try to jump into reading something, um, catching up on my Insta paper queue, um, things like that over lunch. I mean, you actually leave your desk, Michael. I I haven't left my in twelve months. Uh, Ten months. I I, I leave my desk. I go I go about three feet to this table right behind me. That's that's fair. But that's you will fair. yourself probably in your in the chair, right? You just push yourself. It's it has casters on, and you're just moving back and forth. You don't yeah, really yeah. Move. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so you you um I want to go through kind of finish going through your day, and then maybe we can kind of talk talk to how do you how do you decide how you do structure that day. So you take you take a break for lunch. What what else? What are some of the other things that are going on in your day? Yeah, so especially with my new director responsibilities, I'm also um, providing support for our product management craft team, um, helping with uh, working through challenges, um, sharing new articles or things that are interesting that might help shape how we do product at Crema. Um, right now, um, as of recording this podcast, we are excitingly hiring, uh, looking for a new product manager. So mm-hmm. doing some phone screens and things like that. Um, so it's kind of a, a mix of things. Really, my primary focuses are split between client work Um, But then also looking inward to ourselves and how can we best really shape and evolve um, product at Crema while, of course, maintaining the quality that we have today. I'm, I'm curious, you, you, so you've listed everything from managing just internal messaging to clients, because the way that we're thinking about the director, and we'll get into this, but is that they're both practicing and also kind of leading the craft, Mm -hmm. but you're practicing because you've got clients that you're supporting and working with. You're working, of course, with your teams. Um, you're hiring everything else. How do you manage your priorities? Yeah, so this gets a little bit into uh, one of my favorite tools that I use, Todoist. Um, I've bounced back and forth between multiple task management tools over the years, OmniFocus things, um, but I've really stuck in with Todoist. And within it, it has a really basic priority you just flag your task by priority one, priority two, or priority three. And so for me, um, priority ones are things that others are dependent on me for. Um, these are client requests that they need to help move forward. These are team members um, needing to move forward. It's maybe time sensitive things. Priority threes are usually in the same bucket. Of, I'm also a dependency on those, but they're usually not something that's urgently needed uh, for others to move forward with. Um, those are nice to have each day. And then priority two is actually, to me, the highest priority things. Those are um, the, um, oh, if you think about uh, the, the quadrant of prioritization, I think they're like the quadrant two tasks, the things that help move the needle forward. Um, and if I can get through one or maybe even two of those each day, then I've had a really good day. I, I want to come back a little bit. I was having a conversation with a... Um, an up and coming uh, person that wants to become a product manager. And one of the conversations we kind of got onto is like, what 
is a product manager? Can maybe maybe take us back a bit because you just described that you are touching a bunch of different things. You're prioritizing a bunch of different things. What would you say the role of a product manager actually is? What what does a product manager do? Because I think honestly, this is like a question that the industry still asks all the time. Is like, man, I know I need a great product manager, but what do they do? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I think the reason why it's it's still an ongoing question is because the role varies from organization to organization. Sure. Um, and so my my view of a product manager is yeah, like there's all these things. Like I think it's very much there's there's tactile skills involved that you need to specialize in, but it's it's more importantly, I think it has a generalist skill set, at least to the mm-hmm. point where the product manager can empathize well to know enough about design, enough about development, enough about test engineering to help create a healthy environment for that product team to move forward to the vision it's trying to trying to solve and the problems it's trying to solve for for the product. Um, and I, I say like kind of a broad skill set is in not necessarily you need to go out and do a bunch of Udemy courses, but more so you know enough to have an empathetic perspective for when a user story is estimated at a high amount from a development perspective that you can understand at least kind of, okay, it's because of these rash, these reasons. And then how do you connect that back to the business problem you're trying to help solve? Um, so for me, product management is about kind of synthesizing the knowledge of the team and making sure that we have the expertise and the, the questions answered to apply it to just the product, um, the product problem and vision that we're trying to solve for. Ultimately like focusing on that environment, the collaboration and more. Um, it's ambiguous. And I intentionally try to keep that way. And quite honestly, it is a very tough habit to keep it that way because I know there's a very strong drive to the product manager is the one who sets the user stories. And that is exactly what the team has to follow or tell me what to do. Yeah. Yeah. It tells the the designer exactly how to approach things. And it's like, well, no, no. Like I want to, I want to be a learning conduit for the team. So that way we can make sure we're building the most effective thing Mm -hmm. in the most effective way and time sensitive way possible. Um, that creates great outcomes. So what's the, you mentioned, you want to, you kind of want to stay in that ambiguity. What's the goodness there as a product manager, what edge or what benefit does that give you and through you to the team by living more into that ambiguity? Yeah, it, 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 it definitely starts, I think with giving me some humility, like there's, I mean, I'm, I am a huge nerd when it comes to great new products, like always checking product hunt downloading new apps, experimenting with different things. And so when there's problems that come up on some of our client products, it's like, oh yeah, like we could totally do this. But I have to remember that those are totally just ideas to start. And ultimately our developers are exploring some of the latest development trends that might help uh, shape that product. Designers have insight that I, they, that I don't have uh, from a product management perspective. And our clients uh, from their industry knowledge perspective, have things that can certainly shape and should shape the business direction of the product. And so it's kind of having like this almost third eye type oversight into the problem space that we're in and being able to listen intentionally to everyone so that you can really evolve and synthesize your own, uh, really the team's perspective on how you might most effectively move forward. Hmm. I think the analogy that I've heard before is is like a conductor of an orchestra and mm-hmm. the the conductor doesn't necessarily like micromanage what each needs to do they know their own 
skill. They don't know their own responsibility. Um, but they know, they know how to, to create the space and the environment and the, the posture. And, and they're both demonstrating that by the tempo. And they're also demonstrating that by their body position and everything else and the way that they're actually mm-hmm. pulling the team into a space. And I think that ambiguity you're talking about is almost about creating a safe space to be learning together. And then you just went and listed out all of the cross-functional roles, right? And Mm -hmm. so as you think about those cross-functional roles, a big part of, I think, your responsibility is to be able to say, how does everyone's perspective get to the table, have value, but still not keep you spinning from moving forward? Um, Yeah. That's a challenge. It is a challenge. And, and And that's really where my focus comes into and where we found success in the past is creating that environment for those those opportunities to come up and thrive. And sometimes that those those environments are challenging for others as well. Um, you you know from a product management perspective, sometimes you want to in order to cultivate that talent of your team, you want to kind of let things the team kind of drive forward for a little bit mm. in an area of healthy ambiguity that might be uncomfortable, but ultimately creates incredible results. And that is. That is so hard. That is something that I have seen in our industry is the struggle of so many product managers is being able to let go of that control for a little bit and just kind of see and know that there's going to be a good outcome that comes out of the other end of it, even if it's uncomfortable for a while. So you talked about letting go. What are some other challenges that you see are pretty common across product management? I'm just curious from your perspective, or what's the, what's the hardest part of your job? Yeah, I mean, it really is. I, I, if, if you're asking me the hardest part, it is that letting go. It is the anxiety that comes with that. And like hmm. knowing if we're going through a challenging situation on a product right now, or going working through a tough challenge or something that has um, unclear results, but we know the direction we're going in, it's being okay with that um, anxiety and living in it and knowing that this is healthy for us and the team to go through that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, for me, like personally, um, a lot of it has just come with going through this multiple times over the last eight years, um, and just getting that experience of knowing that this isn't like a one-off type of thing. Like this is definitely just part of working in product. Um, but you know, I, I think what helped me was a few years ago, uh, reading an article, uh, from Marty Kagan at Silicon Valley product group. And I, I can't quite remember the title of it, but he named it within this article of like, you know, you have all these large companies seeking, I want to be like Google and Facebook, which is a total oxymoron by itself in today's world. But the point aside, it was very much product skills can be learned. Um, You can thrive in those skills, but the hardest part is what actually comes in to create great product teams and environments is the ambiguity and the product management role living in that ambiguity and being comfortable in it. Because our role is so tied to like, I mean, it's product quote unquote management. So you want to manage roadmaps and you want to have concrete roadmaps and slide decks that you can share with your team and your clients. But really it, 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 that's not what matters um, at the end of the day. So you have a pretty good reputation around Kerma being a master of tools. (laughs) (laughs) I feel, (laughs) I feel like if there is a tool we should use, if there is a tool that we want to review on, um, you're probably one of our go-to people. Actually, you and George are probably our go-to of like, have either one of you used these? Have either one, what have you, what have you heard? Have you tested it? Um, I mean, usually it, the answer is yes. Yes. And you want yeah. a full mm-hmm. report. Yeah. 
So um, you hit the the nail on the head as far as like the most important aspect of your job um, and just living into it's more it's it's around a posture and a a place of living into that ambiguity and leading your teams well um, and leading clients well. Mm. And we know that tools, um, they're a support structure. They're what allow us to do that really well. So if you were to tell us a little bit about kind of those, uh, those tips and tricks, you know, we're all looking for, you know, we'll Google life hack for whatever, or hack for this and tools are a key aspect of that. Um, so tell us a little bit about that in your, in your work. What are those tools that matter most? What's in your toolbox, Michael? Yeah. All right. If you were to just plop out a toolbox and open it up, what are you pulling out? Stop me if I go too far. Cause you're right. I love, <laughs> I love nerding out of our tools. Um, you know, I think, I think first to start, you know, connecting it to where we we're just talking about uh, my philosophy about tools is uh, making sure that whatever tools we select have an open accessible API that they can interface with other tools. And oftentimes you can do that by just going to Zapier or if this and that and seeing if those tools show up there. And the reason for that is one of the things I like to think about is everybody has their own workflows. Some people like organizing their task in Todoist or some other task manager, others Airtable. And so you want to make sure that, again, going back to focusing on the environment, that the tools are empowering your environment um, to allow your individuals to thrive within that environment in the way that they work best. So all that being said, the tools we use are Jira and Confluence um, for our our product teams. Uh, We, of course, use uh, Slack. And my... One of my favorite tools the last couple of years has been Miro, uh, which we use for digital mm-hmm. whiteboard collaboration. And I think what's really been exciting about it is, you know, while we started to use it as a physical whiteboard replacement, um, it really became so much more than that. It became something that we would start being in our product teams and to try to focus on a certain problem. And then just organically after that meeting, that whiteboard continued to be used. And then mock-ups would be dropped on it and questions would be asked and people would jump in asynchronously. And it was like, whoa, this is like so empowering um, for the team because, you know, ideas don't stop when a meeting ends. And Miro has been able to really help us collaborate um, and support the way that everyone on our teams think best. Hmm. Um, Loom has been similar for us, um, being able to have that face-to-face, person-to-person connection that we so desire, especially now, but also um, meeting the individual team members where their schedules and their brains are thinking the most so they can jump up and record a Loom video or uh, share something that they've been working on. I know we've had some challenges. You, you and I are we're tool nerds, and so we'll, we'll go mm-hmm. there all day and we'll, we will become the power user of any tool that we you know, see value in. But I know that also comes with its own set of challenges because our clients or even different team members may be on a different spectrum of um, their their familiarity or their comfort with using a new tool. Um, and I think some of the challenges sometimes are asking someone to not only learn about a new service provider, a new partner that they're working with, but also a new set of tools and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It becomes this, this heavy cognitive load to kind of pick up all these things. Um, I know you're, you're great at really kind of the onboarding for, let's say, a new client um, into introducing them to this, this world of our optimized suite of things. Um, take me through the journey of what, what, what that's like um, as you kind of bring someone in who's maybe never touched any of these things. 
Hmm. Uh, it always for me starts with a place of empathy. How are they going to be using this tool and what's valuable for them? Um, because yeah, one of these tools by itself, there's so many features and they continue to add new features, which is really exciting for me. But for a new client that maybe hasn't used this before, it can be a little oh. overwhelming. Yeah. Um, so, you know, using Miro, for example, if we have a kickoff call in there and uh, we need some interactivity from everybody, including the client, you really all you need is just a quick 30 seconds. Hey, we're going to be using the sticky note feature. Here's how to use it and go next without having to necessarily dive into here's the hundred other tools that Miro offers. Right. So I think it's just, it's just a matter of only is, is keeping it simple, right? Yeah. Um, the reality is, is our clients, uh, our teammates, they all have, they all have jobs. They've got other things that are higher priority for them. Um, that's something I've had to learn as I've been like, no, but then you can do this and then you can do this other thing and it's going to help us to get aligned. And then we're going to have this roadmap. And then, you know, it's like, it's, it's hard not to get too exciting. I think you do a good job of knowing when to nerd out with the nerds and knowing when to kind of, um, maybe dial that back a bit for, um, what's the purpose of this, this, the purpose of this to, to allow us to collaborate. It's allow us to communicate, it's allow us to, move forward together, but we don't want the tool to be the distraction because that's, that has happened before where either the client becomes such a fan of the tool, they forget about the thing that they're trying to build, build, mm-hmm. or, um, you know, or they're so frustrated with the tool. They just, they're like, forget it. I, I, I'm going to go rogue, you know? Yeah. 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 Okay. So I want to pivot us a little bit. Um, you have in the last few months stepped up into a new role. Um, so we, I, on the previous podcast, have talked about the restructure that Crema did at the end of 2020, as we started thinking about how were we were going words, how we were going to scale, and um, part of that was actually thinking about this matrix model of having both a group director and then a craft director. And you stepped up into the role as the director of product management. Tell us a little bit about the responsibilities of that role and kind of what you're learning as you're, you're stepping into it. Yeah, yeah. So really what's nice about our, our craft directors, um, and so specifically director of product management, is it allows someone like myself to focus solely on the craft and product management at Crema, mm-hmm. which means leading our, our team forward on both like, solidifying the quality of what we do today, but also looking ahead and keeping an eye to the future of like, well, how is product going to change in the next two years? And how does Crema get there? And how do we maybe even lead that um, to get to that point? So it's both having a foot in today, making sure we're doing great and continue to do what we're doing today, but also having a foot in the future and really kind of being a bridge between the two. Um, I think one of the things that's really cool about the director, uh, the craft director roles is that we're really player coach roles. So we are practicing with active clients, but we are also serving as that coach, that mentor role for others in our craft within Crema, which really helps us make sure that we're staying current and our skills are staying sharp and that we're actually able to um, experiment with some of the things that we are learning. And maybe that might become part of product management at Crema in the future. Um, without that experimentation, it just becomes theory. Um, mm-hmm. And so that, especially in product, like that is so important. Um, so, yeah. I think that's interesting. You talk about the fact that without experimentation, it's just theory. Um, mm-hmm. And that is a risk that 
as our crafts get together. So we have a, we've talked about this before, and this is home with a lot of people. So if you haven't listened to the previous episodes, we had this model of uh, product teams that sit inside of groups, uh, groups of product teams. And then we have our craft teams and the craft teams are, like you said, are, are focused on increasing the, the skill level, the potential opportunity, the future of a craft. Mm. And for us, those crafts are product design, development, test engineering, product management, um, these cross-functional roles that sit on a product team, right? Uh, but Michael, you're absolutely right. There are times where we will have like a lunch and learn or we'll have a, you guys will do a book study or something like that and be like, oh, this is all great. But it's not until you actually take it back into the product team mm-hmm. where you're going, hey, let's try that. Let's try that mm-hmm. either on, on a product team or maybe on a lab Friday or an experiment or experimentation space. Um, what I'm going to, I'm going to throw one to you. What do you think is something in the last, I don't know, year that you've went in, okay, let's, let's try something new. Uh, let's run an experiment with this. And as a team, as a product management team, um, you found that this kind of new process, this new tool, this new posture, um, was really impactful for the, the team as a whole, as the craft as a whole. Yeah. Um, so the one that the, the really the biggest one that comes to mind is um, how we do some of our story mapping. Mm. Um, the way I've found to be effective to approach our story mapping is kind of like doing layer upon layer. Like you do your the, like the most like high level rudimentary layer first, and then you open it up and you share it with the team. And so actually the way that we're doing this is using Miro. So we're doing some story mapping on Miro. So we might go through, create a high level story map and then pull in the team and be like, hey, this is totally like just a working story map at this point. Um, I'm still going through refining it from a product management perspective, maybe adding in some high level acceptance crate to help guide some of the tasks. But feel free to jump in and start adding things yourselves. If you're a developer or a test engineer or anyone else, Um, feel free to comment with questions, client, especially. Um, And then once you get to a point where it's like, okay, cool. Then you have like a formal review as a team. Then you add more to it. Then you have another review, you estimate it. Um, And by that time you have a pretty good shared understanding of that story map. And then, because again, we love connecting, making sure our tools can connect with each other we're able to then use Miro's Jira plugin to convert those story map cards to actual Jira tasks to carry nice. it right over to yeah. development, um, which is great too, because some people are visual and when they're working on a Jira ticket, they might prefer to uh, open up the Miro board and see where it's visually at connected to the rest of the user stories. Mm. Love that. It's really good. Um, okay. So I want to kind of I feel like we're kind of spoiled. We have some incredible product managers. Mm-hmm. And um, I know that this this craft does so much work to be constantly thinking about how to refine becoming great product managers. I first want to start maybe a little bit with the negative, and then we'll go to where you're learning and where you're growing. What do you what do you hear about as you either talk to our clients or as you talk to, you know, see other people talking online? Where do people get product management wrong? There's really two areas that it's wrong. One, there's teams that see product managers as people managers. And I feel Mm -hmm. like, you know, it's like, okay, like I'm the product manager. I lead the team. I oversee the team. I make decisions for the team. No, you're helping to be, ideally you'd be a a good steward of the product and the environment for the team, more of a servant leader than anything. Um, 
the other is um just being too i think an application there's so much education out there around product management there's so many new uh, road mapping systems and uh, just uh, variations of uh, the agile philosophy and certifications and certifications and more and you know, it's not not that that stuff is invaluable, but when you then apply it or organizations look for people to apply it textbook, it is not going to hold up because you're trying to apply it to people and effective product managers are basing the process that they use around the people, the individual needs and the accumulated team needs. Uh, and that's really challenging, but um, it's also a lot more comfortable if you're an executive to say, yeah, just apply Scrum because Scrum works everywhere, right? Hmm. That's yeah. sarcasm. So that there's a, there's an essence of using what's in the textbook to inform your learning, but then applying that there's uh, the idea of staying uh, um, nimble and flexible uh, Mm -hmm. because applying it in environments will look a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah. Different environments, different people. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Michael, I know that you, you said you made time for it. Where are you learning? Where, who are you following? Where, where, what's kind of your top sources to go and say, man, this is, this is some places that I'm just inspired by how they're thinking about product management these days. Yeah. Yeah. So like anything I have nerded out and created a whole system around learning. Um, uh, but, you know, first off, I want to do a, a call out to uh, Twitter, which has an awesome product community. Um, I follow uh, Shreyas uh, Doshi and also John Cutler, among many other product leaders, but those two in particular have been very inspirational and influential into how we think about product. Yeah. Um, more kind of catching a wide net um, and diving into my system a bit. I subscribe to Feedbin, which is an RSS reader, but what's nice about it is you can also subscribe to newsletters in there. So I'm doing a growing number of Substack subscriptions and more. Um, which then I pipe into my RSS reader of choice, uh, reader five, which then allows me to quickly triage, um, you know, okay, this newsletter from like mind the product seems interesting. I'm going to go ahead and just swipe it over to Instapaper. So that way, when I have focused reading time, I can go in and see like, you know, what are kind of some of those insights out there that I can gather. Hmm. Um, But that really helps me like look at a wide net of like business publications like HBR, McKinsey Insights and tech um, like Stratechery and, uh, the Verge and Ars Technica, um, but also um, I love to follow some just fun tech sites as well. Like Mac Stories has actually been really great because they do oh, yeah, Mac Stories. Yeah, yeah, they they do an awesome job of covering um, really small indie developers, and I'm a huge uh-huh. fan of just the quality and the design of some of those apps. And so it's inspirational to me from a product perspective. It's like, well, those are usually like very very teams. Hmm. Like they have to be so intentional with their approach. How is it that they're able to create such fantastic products that some of the big multi-billion dollar players can't compete against? And so it's really fun personally, but it's also a great inspiration professionally um, to look into some of that. I love how curious you are, Michael. Um, curious and then have this ability to con- come back and contribute a way that you've built a, an incredible system just even for vetting the content that you bring in. So that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. Thanks. Thank um, I think, I think I want to wrap up just um, generally what's something you're excited about for the future of product management. I know that's a curveball. I didn't, I didn't that prep you a, for that yeah. question. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I, I think the biggest thing to me is it's something that we have been learning with and have been finding validation with at Crema, which is that you can really bring a strong, what happens when you bring a really strong sense of empathy to your product teams mm-hmm. and the product owners and the stakeholders and everyone that you work with. And the, just the really awesome things that can happen in terms of pulling people together and how even over the last year, we've been able to uh, continue to scale that uh, when working with clients and team members remotely. Um, there's, I have a lot of optimism around that and I have a lot of optimism around how that empathetic approach can shape a very healthy posture to what product teams can be. Um, our industry has so much, um, I think kind of negativity around it. Like product managers need to work 80 hours a week because they're making all the decisions and scoping out every little minute detail and handing that over to the designer and all that. Um, but I don't think it has to be that way. Um, especially when we've validated this approach with a lot of our um, small clients, our enterprise clients, it's really interesting when you, if you put the people first, um, how much you can have effective outcomes within a very healthy uh, working environment. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Well said. I love it. Well, Michael, I love that you're part of the team. Man, it's, it just blows me away how long we've been, we've been jamming on this together. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, definitely if you, do you, what's your Twitter handle? I mean, I know I see you share things, but it's, is it, M, I should know it off the top of my head. Uh, M Luchin. M Luchin. If you're not following yeah. Michael on Twitter, um, he's also um, sharing a lot of the same resources and, um, you're going to see him in more of the YouTube videos in 2021, because, um, speaking really into our tools, processes, our learnings around product management. Hmm. Uh, thank you for being an awesome part of the, Michael, I really appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks for being with us today, Michael. Great to be here. Thank you. All right. Cheers. Cheers. This episode of People of Product was produced by Larissa McCarty with support from Gabby Caton, Julie Branson, and Alexa Alfonso. Our hosts are George Brooks and Daniel Linhart. People of Product is brought to you by Crema, a digital product agency. We believe that creativity, technology, and culture can help individuals and organizations thrive. Learn more at crema.us.